If you'll turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, that's where we'll pick up this Lord's Day as we continue to walk through the book of Hebrews together. Uh, So far as we've been walking through Hebrews, we've seen very clearly that uh, the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that Jesus is greater, that he is supreme, that he's greater than the angels, greater than Moses, and therefore we should not neglect this great salvation that Jesus offers. Uh, There are warnings throughout the book of Hebrews. We talked last Lord's Day about how we're prone at times to ignore warnings we see in our culture. And if we're not careful, we'll ignore the warnings in the Scripture. And the warning is clear that, that although we've heard the gospel, do we really believe the gospel? Are we fully trusting in God? And there's a warning here not to neglect the great salvation that Jesus offers there's instruction to persevere in our faith and, and not to harden our hearts. And so the, the writer picks up now in chapter 4, continuing in this theme of trusting in Christ and entering into the rest of God through Christ. And so we're going to look at Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 11, and add a reverence for God's Word if you're able to, if you would stand together as I read today's passage for us. This is what the holy inspired word of God says. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as it came to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. And as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken on the, of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken about another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever is in God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. If you would pray with me. Father, as we consider this passage from Hebrews chapter 4, there, there can be some... Things here, some wording here that that might confuse some, that that we might just skip over. But Lord, I pray in this time, in this moment, that you might help us to consider these words and to consider what it truly means to find our rest in you, to, to have rest for our souls rooted in the gospel of Jesus. Lord, there there may be some people here this morning that are restless. They're restless, that they're anxious, they are worried. They may be overwhelmed by suffering and trials. There may be others here who are restless because they're not obeying you and they're not trusting in you and they're they're living in sin and they're not repentant. 
Lord, wherever we might be this morning, help us to see your word and to hear your word and to trust your word and to respond in repentance and faith. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. This is the week of the 4th of July, which makes it a busy travel week. We have quite a few folks from church that aren't here today because they're probably traveling or on vacation. Our family took some time this week to do a little bit of traveling. We went to Virginia to see some family there, to see some friends there. And as we were coming back, we were driving through West Virginia. We stopped at a gas station, got back in the van. We had about three or four hours left in our trip. And as I turned the van on, all of a sudden we had all these lights and warnings that came on on our dashboard. It reminded me of my sermon last week where I talked about our tendency to ignore warnings. And so I didn't ignore these. We pulled out the owner's manual. We started researching, figuring out what was going on. And soon it was pretty evident that our van was having a problem with the alternator. And so uh, I thought, well, we're about three hours from home. We're going to roll the dice here. And so it was about 93 degrees outside. So we turned off the air conditioner, rolled down the windows, and didn't turn the car off and just set a trail for Bloomfield. I learned a couple of things. Uh, we did make it back. Um, but I, I learned a couple of things. And these might be helpful to those of you, especially if you have young kids and, and you bemoan traveling with them because they can be a bit fussy, especially on long trips. If you're driving and it's about 90 degrees and you roll the windows down, it, it solves so many things. Um, <laughs> they will either pass out or you won't hear them because of all the wind. And so uh, it worked out pretty well. But, um, but we got back and then uh, right after we got back, of course, uh, we're telling the kids, well, it'll be cool at home. You'll have the AC at home. Well, a day later, our air conditioner stopped working in the house. And so... So some of you might think it's cold in here. I think it feels awesome in here. We might turn it down 10 degrees and just enjoy it. But, uh, but I, I couldn't fix our heat pump issue. Somebody else did that. But, but I did quickly start researching. Uh, I've replaced alternators before and trying to figure out what we needed to do to fix our van. And, and some of you are like that. You like to fix things yourself. And, and I found that there's two things that are really helpful at those times. Uh, when you're fixing something, one, it, it's helpful to have kind of a step-by-step instruction to have, okay, do this, do this, do this, and just walk through those steps. That, that's very helpful. But what can be even more helpful or, or help with those instructions is to actually see an example of someone doing it. And so, of course, now we have you know, YouTube and all these things. You can go watch people do things, and, and I do that a lot. I learn how to do stuff that way. So ha- having the instruction and having the example that then help me to apply these things, and, and, and as far as my limitations can take me, I can, I can learn some stuff that way. And, and I think that's because God's, God's kind of wired me that way, and perhaps He's wired a lot of us that way, where, where we need both of those things. We, we need the instruction, and we need the example. And the reason I think He's wired a lot of us that way is because that's pretty much how God conveys His Word to us. As you walk through the Bible, you find that that God gives us both of those things. He he gives us the instruction. He tells us what to do. He he gives us the steps. He he says, walk by faith, and then He tells us how to walk by faith. But He doesn't stop there. He also gives us the examples. And so as we've been walking through Hebrews together, we've already seen the writer of Hebrews go go back to the Old Testament, go back to these Psalms, go back to examples, go back to Moses and others, and show us what it looks like to obey this instruction. His instruction so far has been clear. We, are, we need to pay attention to what we learned about Jesus. 
Well, we need to consider Jesus. We need to be careful that we don't neglect this great salvation that Jesus offers us. When we need to hold fast, we need to have our confidence in Christ. And he's warned us we need to be careful not to harden our hearts. And then he's given us examples both of faith and of faithlessness. He's called our attention to Moses who was faithful over the household of God. He, he said Jesus is even greater than Moses. So he, he's given us the example of faith. And then he's also showed us what it looks like to, to have a struggle with our faith, to not walk by faith. He's called our attention back to the Hebrews during the Exodus, who God was so faithful to, he brought them out of Egypt, out of their slavery, through those plagues, through the Red Sea, on the way to the land of promise. And yet, time after time, they didn't obey God. They didn't trust God. They didn't have faith. In fact, it gets to the point we see there in the Exodus where an entire generation will die off in the wilderness because of their disobedience. But even those God takes into the promised land, into the land of Canaan, we see that they wrestle with faith. Many times they don't trust God and obey God. And so they have a change of location, but not necessarily a change of heart. And so God gives us this instruction and example so that we can pull these things together and then today in our lives apply this. And so I hope that we'll see all of that come together as we continue to walk through Hebrews as we turn now to Hebrews chapter 4. I want to point out just a few things about this passage, point out how we see both instruction and example and how we can apply those things beginning with the first point there in your outline. We learn, number one, that faith comes from hearing, but hearing alone doesn't produce saving faith. Faith comes from hearing, but hearing alone doesn't produce saving faith. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. We know that foundational to our faith is we need to first hear the Gospel proclaimed. And so you may have heard the, the expression before, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Now the idea there is if you live out your life in such a way, people will, will see your faith, but that's actually not a very good motto. <laughs> because the scripture says they need to hear. The gospel comes through hearing. Now certainly our walk needs to match our talk, but there needs to be talk that goes with our walk, People hear the gospel and they respond principally by hearing, but just hearing isn't enough to save us. See, some of you in this room this morning, you have heard and you know all kinds of things, but you don't truly believe yet. And if you don't truly believe, you don't have saving faith. You've heard the gospel, but just hearing it isn't sufficient to save and so I could walk around this room today and I could talk to each of you and I could ask you, can, can you explain the gospel to me? And perhaps you could just walk through the gospel, maybe through that, that familiar Romans road. And we see there, Romans 3.23, that, that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That, that every one of us in this room, we're all sinners. And Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. That because of our sin, we deserve God's wrath. We deserve eternal separation from a holy God. And we see this in the garden where Adam and Eve sin against God. And as a consequence of our, their sin, they are removed from God's presence. And, and we too, because of our sin, are removed from God's presence. And we deserve His punishment, His wrath. But we continue in Romans, Romans 5, 8, to see that God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Christ paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. Christ offers us His righteousness from the cross. And if we repent and trust in Him, we have that forgiveness and that righteousness. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that if we believe in our heart, if we confess that Jesus is the Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we'll, we'll be saved. These are just a, a few verses that help us to clearly understand the gospel. And they are verses that perhaps many of you know this morning. But the question isn't, do you know it? The question is, do you actually believe it? That there's a difference between just knowing something and actually believing it and living by faith according to it. And so what we have here in front of us is an example and instruction regarding those who heard but did not believe. So what is the instruction we're given? We'll look at verse 1 there. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, so he's saying that there's an opportunity for us today to enter into this rest that God offers, but what do we need to do? Let us fear. Fear. Be, be afraid. Now that might sound counterintuitive. That might sound to be the opposite of much of what you've learned in church growing up. You may have heard sermon series on overcoming fear and on faith conquering your fear and may have books on yourself that talk about faith over fear. And yet here, this instruction is, no, you actually need to be afraid. Now, why would the writer of Hebrews say that they needed to be afraid? Well, again, consider the context and what he's telling them to be afraid of. He's just given an example of people who died in the wilderness and did not enter into God's rest. Why? Because they did not believe and they disobeyed. And now he's writing to a group of people who are struggling in their faith, who are considering walking away from their faith, and he is telling them they need to be afraid. What do they need to be afraid of? They need to fear unbelief. That they need to fear getting to that place where they would not trust God, where they would not believe God, where they would not follow God. He's warning them not to just take comfort in their intellectual knowledge, but to be afraid and to actually fear, do you really believe this? And then he gives this example of the Hebrews in the wilderness. Verse 2, he talks about, for good news came to us just as it did to them. I don't think he's saying here that the fullness, the good news of the gospel. Rather, he's just saying that the good news of God's revelation, God's word was revealed to them. God gave his promise and he gave his commands and he gave them good news. He said to them, I'm going to take you from Egypt and from slavery and I'm going to take you to the land of promise and I'm going to conquer your enemies and I'm going to take you to this land flowing with milk and honey where you'll want for nothing. This was good news. And yet, what does he say? For the good news came to us just as it did to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Think that they didn't actually have faith, that they didn't really believe God. And so how do we avoid doing what they did? We need to have a healthy fear of unbelief in our life. See, it's a, it's a healthy thing to have fear at times. I remember when I was a child, we lived on a rather busy street. In fact, it seemed like, as I think back on my childhood, 
that there was a number of times where someone would go at a fast speed around the turn up from our house and they were always taking out the neighbor's fence row or took out our mailbox a few times. And my, my dad was so determined for them not to take out the mailbox. He was an engineer that he had this, uh, some type of steel structure buried 40 feet in the ground or something that would just tear a car apart if it hit it. And I remember going out one morning and there was this enormous pole that went with the mailbox laying like, 50 yards down the road, somebody just tore the whole thing out, and tore their car up in the process. It, it was a busy road, and so I remember as a child being told, do not play in the streets. I remember my parents warning me, I needed to be afraid of the road. If the ball goes in the road, you just let the ball go. And so I remember having that, that healthy fear. Now, I did not exist everywhere in my childhood in my yard always being afraid of the road. Most of the time, I was playing in the backyard. I was playing at neighbors' houses. I wasn't just living in constant fear. But when I got close to the road, that fear set in. And the closer I got to it, the more cautious I was because I had a healthy fear and understanding of what might happen if I stepped out into that street. That, that's what a healthy fear does for us. And I think what the writer of Hebrews here is saying, we need to have that fear of unbelief. So we don't need to live in fear. We, we don't need to be overcome by fear. But, but as we inch ourselves towards unbelief, when we find ourselves in situations where we're tempted not to believe what God says in His Word, when we're overcome by the culture that's pulling us completely away from the Word, and we start to get tempted just in a moment to go with the culture and not with God's Word, that's when that fear needs to set in. That's when we need that healthy fear to remind us of the consequence of unbelief. That's when we need to consider the example of the Hebrews who died in the wilderness because of their disobedience. We need to fear unbelief and understand that we can intellectually agree with God's Word but if we fail to believe it in our heart, it will be of no gain to us. Saving faith doesn't just come through hearing. We can hear and not have saving faith. How do we have saving faith? Well, point two, saving faith comes when we believe what we hear from God and place our trust in Him. So we come to saving faith not just when we know these things in our mind, but when we really believe them and we trust in God. Notice again, we have instruction and we have example. Verse 3, for we who have believed enter His rest. He's saying we can avoid the fate of the Hebrews in the wilderness. We can enter into the rest of God. But as we do this, don't forget that example before us. That example of those who could not enter His rest. And so He gives this stern word of instruction to us again in verse 7. He's quoting again here from the psalm from David. This is what the Holy Spirit says through David. He says, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. That's the instruction. Today. Do not harden your hearts when you hear the voice of God. This emphasis is on this, this moment, this day. When you hear the Word, you are to respond to the Word. You, you don't procrastinate. You don't put it off. You don't push it to the side. There's no salvation through procrastination. 
We are called to believe the Word and trust the Word and respond to the Word when we hear the Word proclaimed, when we read the Word. And that's why here at Bloomfield Baptist, each Lord's Day, you'll notice at the end of our time of, of preaching, the Word's taught, we, we offer a time of response. Now, for some of you, you may grow up in, in an environment where that can be sort of a, a, a bit of a manipulative time, you know. Some of you grew up in churches where you knew if somebody doesn't walk that aisle, you ain't getting to lunch. <laughs> and so you're, you're going to hear every stanza repeated 40 times until somebody finally gets up that aisle. And some of you as kids, you're like, you never thanked the Lord more than when you finally saw somebody walk down that aisle and you knew you could get out of here. Well, we don't do that. Our desire is not to manipulate. Our desire is not to just, just uh, emotionally appeal to you. But, but we have a time of response for a reason. Because we need to respond. And one of the primary ways we respond to God's Word is by worshiping and singing and, and believing these things that we sing. And so that time of response isn't just for someone who walks the aisle and becomes a Christian or somebody walks the aisle and joins the church or someone who walks the aisle and asks for prayer. That time of response is for all of us because all of us need to respond to the Word. Now, some need to walk this aisle. Some of you this morning... You need to walk this aisle. You've yet to confess Christ as Lord. You've yet to put your faith in Christ. And there's something there. There's a barrier there. And you're just kind of putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And notice what the Scripture says. Today. Now again, that doesn't mean, well, I don't, I'm not really there yet, but He says we need to. So I'll just, No, no. I'm not talking about just being your arm twisted. I'm saying take seriously that this may be the last opportunity you ever have. Again, I'm not manipulating. I'm not trying to twist your arm. I'm trying to compel you based on what the Word of God says. Today. Not tomorrow. Not the next day. Not next week. Not next year. Today, if you hear, if the Spirit is at work in your life in such a way where your eyes are being opened and your heart's being opened and the Spirit is bringing you to life where now you can believe and respond in faith, then today, respond. Today, perhaps you sing for the first time out of the joy of your heart that now you know what it is we sing and why we sing. Today, go to God and, and repent and, and trust in Him. Today. And notice the warning there. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. I mean, there is something about hearing the gospel proclaimed and the word proclaimed and not responding to it that can develop a callousness and a hardness on our heart. So every time you open up the Scripture, every time you hear someone preach from the word, and this word is counter to your life, meaning that, that you are living in such a way, and you, you know this, we don't have to go through all the examples, you know your, your life, there's something there that is completely in disobedience to God, and every time you, you hear the word proclaimed, and, and, and the Spirit is, is tugging on your heart, and you say no, and you put that out of your mind, and you say, I'm just, well, I'm not going to respond to that, I'm not going to do that, that's just too extreme, that's going to cost me too much, then, then your heart is being hardened. And you better be scared of that. He says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. 
God is gracious. That this is not an irreversible condition yet. He is extending an opportunity today. Verse 1, there's still an opportunity to enter His rest. Verse 5, or verse 6, it remains for some to enter it. God is so gracious to us to give us another opportunity to repent and trust in Him. But one day there will be no more opportunities. Again, I'm not manipulating. I'm just telling you the truth. I know there's a day when I'm going to die and you're going to die. I know it. And the only thing that's going to interrupt that process is should Christ come back before you die or I die. And I don't know when any of those days are going to be. But here's what I know. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Saving faith comes when we believe what we hear from God and place our trust in him. The instruction is do not harden your hearts. And again, the example is the Hebrews in the wilderness. He says they didn't enter God's rest because they heard the word proclaimed and they did not trust and they did not believe. Again, many of them started out strong. You go back and read Exodus. What do you see? As the people are leaving Egypt and they plundered the Egyptians, they're singing songs. <laughs> they're dancing. They're excited. They're praising God. And you just go a few verses later and those same people are grumbling and complaining and shaking their fist at God. Again, it reminds us it's not so much how you start, it's how you end. And what do they do in the end? They die in the wilderness. They do not enter the land of rest. And even those who go into Canaan, they, they don't fully enter into God's rest. Why? Because they continue to question God and they continue not to believe Him and not to trust Him. And if you will not trust God, you will not find your rest in Him. And so this is the instruction and this is the example and then he in that example he, he takes us back to to rest in creation he he points us back to that sabbath rest to that rest that was there for god's people in the beginning that that on the seventh day god rested and we have an opportunity to to enter into this rest that god offers but we will be restless if we will not trust in him and so what do we do with these things how do we apply this instruction and example well we look to the Hebrews' failure and we learn from that example and we have to be careful that we don't do the same thing they did. Verse 6 says they failed to enter the wilderness because of disobedience. God told them what to do. He told them to go into the land. He told them He would conquer their enemies. He told them to have faith, to trust in Him. But they did not believe God. They did not have faith. They were overcome by fear. Not a healthy fear, but an unhealthy fear. And as a result, they disobeyed. Just consider the gravity of verse 6. Because of disobedience. Now, I point that out because I fear we live in a culture today where we really just don't take disobedience very seriously. That there are so many things that are spelled out clearly in God's Word. Matters of faith and practice and how we're to live our life as Christians and what, what God has ordained as good and what He has said is wicked. And, and I fear in our culture more and more we have slid to this point where we, we don't accept any authority from God's Word. Our authority is our experience and our feelings. 
And so there are churches today, there are pulpits today where there will be wickedness endorsed. And it's not just those ultra-liberal churches out there, it's the conversations that are in the hallways of our church and other churches. Where, where we laugh at things we shouldn't laugh at. Where we endorse things we shouldn't endorse. Where we look at what the Scripture calls sin and disobedience and we say, oh, that's so good for them. And the scripture says, be warned, because of disobedience, they did not enter into God's rest. What makes you think you're going to enter into it if you don't obey God? We need to take this very seriously. Obedience is a matter of the heart. It's not just what we believe intellectually. Are we living according to our belief? Is there fruit of our faith in our life? Does your life, does my life, is there any tangible difference between us and the world? The fruit reveals the, the root. That's why in the gospel we see Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. We must act on what we believe. We believe, we know, but then it turns into a heart response. We confess Christ as Lord. And you may have heard it said before, I've heard it many times, that some people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. That the distance between the head and the heart. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've, I've sat down with someone, usually at a point of crisis in their life, where they are in utter disobedience, and, and I'm trying to reach out to them graciously with a gospel, and they'll say things to me like, well, I know what the Bible says. I mean, I've read the Bible front and back, Pastor. I know all about what the Bible says. And, and I can't say I've always said this, but my heart responds to it each time is, so what? <laughs> Who cares what you know? What do you believe? What, what, what is actually being fleshed out in your life? Listen, there's no SAT entrance exam to heaven. There's no seminary class we take at the pearly gates. The question isn't just, do we know these things? It's, do we believe them? Do we trust them? Have, have we put our full faith in Christ to where when the world goes the other way, we say, go the other way. I don't care. And when we're the only one who stands on the truth of God's Word, we say, I don't care. I'm going to stand firm on the foundation of God's Word because I truly believe it. Saving faith comes when we believe what we hear from God and we place our trust in Him. And so then point three, saving faith is what brings us to Sabbath rest. That, that, that's the focus here, that, that rest that God offers. And so here he starts with the example there in verse 8. He, he says, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. He's saying, listen, there are people who went with Joshua into the promised land. Moses couldn't go because of disobedience. A whole generation dies off because of disobedience. But, but Joshua, he brings them in. But notice, God's still talking about rest. So there's a rest that goes greater than this land promise. God spoke of something greater than what Joshua took the people into. Then he says in verse 9 that that rest is available for us today. It remains for us today. This Sabbath rest for God's people. It's not too late. You can still have it. In verse 10 he says you can rest fully in the finished work of God. Forever's entered God's rest has also rested from His works as God did from His. 
So what's this look like? It, it, it means you can come to a place where you just rest in God. Where you're not adding up at the end of the day, did I live good enough? Did I try hard enough? Where you don't have to be overwhelmed by anxiety and all these other things, but at the end of the day, you can push those things aside and you can say, God, I trust in you, whatever befalls me. And so, whatever. If it's a car repair, if it's a cancer, you can say, I, I will trust you. Whatever befalls me. Because your words are true. And notice what he says in verse 11. What are we to do with all this? It says, so then let us therefore strive to enter that rest. He said, let's strive for it. Let's, let's hold fast to it. Let, let's push ourselves forward. I mean, think of the things we have strived after that are so useless and meaningless. The things we put before ourselves, these, these goals we have, these, these, these things, I, I just want to climb this ladder and get to this point and get here and we get there and then we look around and it's just not what we thought it was going to be. When we strive after sin and it leaves us devastated. The writer of Hebrews says here we can, we can strive after something better. So let's strive to enter that rest. Why? So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. God's desire for you, friend, this morning is that you would not die in the wilderness in your disobedience, but that you would press on and hold on and strive to enter this rest that He offers. So how do we do that? That, that can seem rather ambiguous. Well, well, I need to rest in God, and I'm not sure what that means. Well, he gives us such a perfect picture of this in Matthew chapter 11. And that's where I want us to go and that's where we'll, we'll bring all this together. Matthew chapter 11 is a passage you might be familiar with because this is that passage where Jesus says if we want rest, we need to come to Him. But it's important we understand the context here. And Matthew 11 verses 20 through 24, Jesus starts, before He says come to Me, He gives a warning regarding those who haven't. Woe to unrepentant cities is the, the little subheading I have here. And he goes through and he calls out these cities by name and he says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Why does he say that? Because they saw his mighty works, they heard his mighty word, and they did not believe. Woe to you this morning if you hear the gospel and you have not placed your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ. Woe to you if you think your unrepentant sin will go unnoticed before a holy God. Woe. Woe. He gives this warning. We just stop there. We can feel this, this weight of who, who's deserving then. Who, who can ever enter into His righteousness. But then he, he shifts here as He gives this woe to those who didn't believe, didn't trust. And what's He say? Verse 28, come to Me. You feel burdened. You feel overwhelmed. You feel like God's standard is so far beyond you. Good, that, that's where you need to be now. Come to Me, Jesus says. All who labor and are heavy laden. 
You got the weight of the world on your shoulders. You think, hey, I figure all this out. Jesus says, that's who I need. Come on, come to me. And what's he say? I will give you rest. That Jesus isn't saying, here, I'll give you a nap. <laughs> He's not saying, all right, you're going to get a solid 10 hours a night. No. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. You, you can sleep 12 hours and not have rest for your souls. You can spend the rest of your life in bed and not have rest for your soul. The, the restless soul, the Scripture tells us, is restless for a number of reasons. It could be, again, that, that unrepented sin. You, you've been looking for rest and everything else and it's not giving you rest because it wasn't intended to. And so no relationship, no drug, no anything is going to give you the rest that only Jesus can give you. Doesn't matter what your, your bank balance is. If you haven't trusted in Christ, you're not going to have this rest he talks about. Anxiety, worry, all these things that overwhelm us. He says, come to him and he'll give us this rest. For my yoke, Jesus says, is easy. And my burden is light. And then notice where he goes in Matthew 12. He starts talking about how Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> And so all these dots are connected. So you go to the very beginning. Before the fall, what does God do? God, in the created order, says this, this is Sabbath rest. You can rest from the work of your hands as I'm resting from mine. But then what happens in the fall? Well, now you're going you're gonna to labor and you toil and the work of your hands is just going to aggravate you and worry you and confuse you and you're just going to be restless. And so how do we find this rest? Well, well, ultimately you move forward to Matthew 11 and Jesus says, okay, that, that rest that God intended in the beginning, now, now you can have it in me. But you've got to trust me. You've got to come to me. And that's when you'll find, excuse me, this rest. Says Jesus, I'll sneeze here in a second. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And so that's why this is the Lord's Day. As we come together and we trust in Him. So, so we're to strive to enter this rest. Are, are you striving for that today? Is that goal in front of you today? I, I want to enter into God's rest. But more than anything else in this world, I mean, if you could have anything this morning, if you could write the ticket, anything in this world, what would you ask for? And if it's anything other to find this rest in Christ, then now you know what your idol is. Now you know what it is you're holding more tightly to than Christ. And now you know what to repent of. He says, strive for it, set it as your goal in life, pursue it, look for rest in no other. Only Jesus, Jesus can satisfy our greatest need. Come to Him and you will find rest for your soul. And so we pull all this together. Are we resting in Jesus today? Today. And so friend, I'm not asking you to think about this for another week, another month. I'm asking you today, are you ready to rest in Jesus? Are you ready to fully trust in Jesus? Are you ready to just push everything else to the side and say, I will trust in Christ and in Christ alone. And whatever may befall me, I will set my focus on Him.
Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Will you trust in him? If you'll stand together as I pray for us. Father, I, I confess that there are, there are so many things that I have strived after other than Jesus. As I look back, as I look around, I, I can think of so many things that have occupied my attention, my focus, my desires, my worries, my anxiety, things that I've set before myself and, and just chased after. And Lord, I thank you in your, in your grace and your goodness that even in my foolishness and my sin, Lord, that, that you pursued me with the gospel and even after I responded to the gospel that you've been so gracious and merciful to me to show me when I've strived after the wrong things. And I thank you for this reminder from your word this morning. Nothing can be more important than Jesus in our lives. So, Lord, I pray for myself, I pray for our church, I pray for our church family, for guests that are here this morning, that if there's anything in their life that is greater than their affection and desire for Christ, that you would make that evidence. And, Lord, that they might strive to enter this rest. And I thank you, Lord, that that rest is available to us today. That this world will not give us eternal rest. No doctor visit can give us eternal rest. No job, no bank account, no relationship. No next level, next step. None of these can give us the rest that only Jesus can. So Lord, help us to trust in him today. Help us to have faith in him today. Help us to walk in obedience today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.